We're rolling. Welcome to the House Dudes Podcast, where we invite you to follow us on our journey towards financial freedom using the power of real estate. I'm Jack Haas. And I'm Josh Koth. Here at House Dudes, we believe in a couple key principles. Number one, the best way to retain information is by teaching it to others. And number two, a rising tide lifts all boats. We're not competitors, we're a community. So let's get into some real estate investing. So we got Jim Murray on the line, and I can't thank you enough for joining us, Jim. But uh, why don't we just start things off with uh, you introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, so appreciate you guys having me on the show. Um, I am, I guess, a self-professed millennial house house hacker who realized that I was good at talking to tired landlords turned property manager. So I still invest today, and I own a property management company based out of Warwick, Rhode Island. We manage property between Rhode Island and southeastern Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and we manage just under 700 uh, residential apartment units currently. Okay. Well, great. So let's start right there with the house hacking, because I I get a lot of people who ask me about that concept. And um, I don't know if it's, if it's, uh, you know, based on your location, but in, in our part of the world, especially the first time home buyer, you can get up to four units and and it's really appealing for people when it, when it comes to this whole house hacking concept. So let's start there. Like, how did you get into it? And uh, what was your first deal and how did it all look? Yeah. So it was, it was a crazy start, but I always knew that I wanted to invest in real estate. I came out of college and here's where people think that you need a ton of money to invest in real estate. Mm-hmm. The truth is you don't. I came out of college. I had $70,000 in student loans. It was on a 10 year plan or 10 year amortization. So I was paying a little over $800 a month and I actually just paid them off. So I'm 31 as we record this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been able to buy real estate even with the student loans and that heavy payment and house hacking was the way to go. So fresh out of college, I knew that I wanted to look for multifamily real estate, graduated college in 2010, started looking sometime in 2011. The first realtor that I worked with, mm-hmm. um, it was a referral from my aunt. And uh, it turns out that that realtor actually bought three or four deals out from underneath me. I had no idea. She oh, knew really? how good the market was at that point, And I did not. Um, so it didn't work out. But I mean, she was buying three families in Woonsocket, Rhode Island for between fifty dollars to $60,000. They need about a $60,000 rehab per what she told me when we walked through. Those same properties are selling for about two hundred fifty dollars to $300,000 now. So hmm. you can really see like what the opportunity was then. and just for added perspective, those style of units were renting for between $900 to $1,000 a month in 2010. And they're probably roughly $1,200 a month currently in 2019. Sure. So cash flow would have been strong. And then now you also have the capital appreciation play. So I wasn't able to purchase one when I worked with her. I put in the sidelines for a year. I thought I wanted to stay working with the financial firm that I was at, tabled real estate, Got a little frustrated with my uh, financial job and then got back into it. And I happened to meet um, a realtor who's still a mentor to this day. Mm-hmm. And he worked and worked and worked to get me into, I swear, it's still the ugliest multifamily in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, it cash flows really well, but it's ugly as sin on the outside. Uh, I didn't even want to go. It looks like old commercial converted commercial space on the outside, which it was. It was a pharmacy way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not pretty. But we went out there. And, and this is a really good tip for newbies who are just getting started. But if there is a listing agent 
who is difficult to work with or is difficult to set up a showing, that's probably a good opportunity if you can brave through that process of trying to get out to a property because you're probably not the only one fighting to get in there. Mm -hmm. But if you can be persistent and get in and work with, you know, a listing agent who's more difficult to work with, you could find yourself a good deal. Sure. And that's what happened here. So my first multifamily property I bought in November of 2012, it was a four unit property in Pawtucket, Rhode Island uh, and had a three car garage behind it. So another golden nugget, multifamilies with garages are an excellent opportunity to provide additional cash flow. So in my area, the typical garage rents for an additional $100 per month. So as I'm looking at that four unit multifamily asset, that's an additional $300 a month that can go directly to my bottom line mm -hmm. because there's, there's really not much carrying costs related to operating that garage. Maybe a couple extra dollars per month, really running some, you know, uh, basic electrical out to the garage, but nothing too fancy. Um, so you don't get tenants that you don't want in garages. Right. <laughs> so, um, but the biggest thing here with related to house hacking and, and going back to how I started with, you really don't need a ton of money. Mm -hmm. So I was able to save uh, roughly uh, $7,000 to get into my first property. Um, the program that I used was through my local housing agency. So the housing agency, Rhode Island Housing, they had a loan program that was internal um, to the housing agency. But if you had above a 700 credit score, you didn't have to pay PMI. So that saved mm -hmm. me a couple hundred bucks a month. And then it was a 3.5% down payment in order to get into the asset. So I bought that four unit property for $140,000. Mm -hmm. When I closed on that property day one, principal, interest, taxes, insurance, my mortgage payment was $1,040 per month. Sure. So for added perspective here, um, as I got the property stabilized, I went through a ton of paint. Um, it was really paint and flooring to get it off the ground. Um, I had a half vacant building. The first tenant that I moved in, the rent was $975 per month. Hmm. So the big thing with house hacking is that <clears throat> it's a way to help offset and either try to live for free or get paid to live there, right? right? So when I finally had the property up and running, I was actually making a couple hundred dollars a month living there. So not hmm. only living for free, but also making money. And that helped me help set me up to house hack a second property. Sure. Um, but upfront, the research that goes in, it is amazing the level of information on the internet today. So a lot mm -hmm. of folks are like, hey, Jim, this is great. You got in at the right time. Sometimes you got to be lucky to be good. Mm -hmm. How could I start today? So my favorite types of properties to buy are going to be properties that are under rented. So what I mean there is find a property where the rents are low. When you walk into that building and the owner's like, yeah, the rents are low, but it's a tenant that, you know, doesn't cause any problems, doesn't give me any headaches, um, sort of increased rent, and they've been here for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Those are the types of properties that I really like. Here's why. If you have a unit that, and I'm going to take another step back and <laughs> recoil there. Um, how do you find out if it's under rented? One, if you're in a showing and you hear that, that should be like the flag or that uh, gains your attention. The second point from there is when you hear that, go to rentometer.com. So I don't know if you guys use this as a tool. Oh, yeah. Um, but this is like my primary tool to get started. Mm -hmm. Go to rentometer.com, enter the address, the number of bedrooms. And if that property was renting for 500 and you heard that, say, hey, let's see if I can get seven. 
And rentometer.com is going to give you a barometer that shows you kind of where the market rents are. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't work in all areas, but it's a really good starting point. Right. So once you get that barometer, you get the range, say you find that, um, you know, the average rent in that area should be 750 for a one bedroom. Mm-hmm. Then go out to Trulia, Zillow, apartments.com, whatever your favorite rental site is, and look for other apartments available in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. So you can see when you purchase that building, who you're up against, what, what your prospective tenants are also looking at. So now you know the level of rehab required to get to that market rent. Sure. The cool thing here, and we've achieved this a few times, not only in our own portfolio, but with our clients, in buying these buildings, if there is a tenant who has been there for an extended period of time and say they're paying 500 a month and mm-hmm. you know market is 750, when you come in day one after you, when you buy that property and you increase the rent to 700, I would be willing to bet there's probably like a 98% chance they're not moving. Mm-hmm. because, and there's been multiple financial surveys here, but most people have less than a thousand dollars in their savings account. Right? right. And for us, that's probably pretty scary. Um, but when you increase to market, they, they don't have the ability to move. They don't have the ability to come up with another first in security. And they know that they're, they're in a decent spot where they live for a long time and they enjoy living there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times you're able to get pretty close to market rent, if not just below market, maintain the tenant, and now, now your financials are, are in a much better position and you didn't have to incur capital expenditure in terms of work that you had to do to, to, to get the unit prepared to go to market. Mm-hmm. No, that's interesting. You know, what's, what I find mostly interesting there is that we deal with a lot of frustrated landlords yep. and, and every single one of them without fail uses the term, well, I, I'm renting it for this, but I could get that. Right. So we've never seen it as a red flag like you have, like right. you do, because uh, yep. we just hear it time and time again. Yep. Um, yep. So, but so, it does take that due diligence just to just double check and make sure maybe there is something there. Right. Yeah. So that's like the leading indicator that we look for to, to really find that opportunity. Sure. So you're, you're doing this house hacking and you've done it a, a, a couple times now, probably more. So I've house hacked twice. Um, sure. My wife said if I did it again, she, uh, uh, she wouldn't stay with me. So uh, we bought a single family. Mm-hmm. But honestly, really, I was really fortunate for this. Um, at, at the time of buying the single family, when we closed, we owned roughly a million dollars worth of real estate mm-hmm. and legitimately had never made a mortgage payment because right. we had done so well on the house hacking front that the rents not only covered the mortgage expenses on two four unit properties, but it also covered the mortgage on a single family. A, sure. a, you know, roughly $400,000 single family and a great, um, a great house in the middle of the woods where it took me six months to meet a neighbor. So it was, it was pretty nice um, being out of the middle of nowhere after living in the city for a while. Um, but I think that's really the opportunity for most folks that if you can execute house hacking on a high level and it's not always going to be perfect from, from a financial perspective, it can really set you up for financial success. Sure. So how did you uh, maintain that relationship? Be like your your wife told you now, if you do it a third time, I'm I'm out. And, yeah, <laughs> we're not so doing it, that again. What? How did how did that go? Like uh, so in so in fairness, uh, we had our son on the way, um, so he's three now. Um, amazing, great experience. Uh, it's incredible becoming a dad. Um, so I understood from that standpoint. 
you know, when, when he came, we were moved into a single family house. So it was a much easier process. Um, but it didn't stop me from investing. Um, it didn't stop me from, from, it, I actually shifted my focus at that point to focus more on my company. So at that point we had roughly, um, between 250 to 300 units under management. So we started focusing more on onboarding distressed owners that way. Sure. And I think that's, that's kind of where I've been able to find my niche in the sense of when we go out there and we find these distressed owners, there are multiple ways for us to close that. And I always talk about how there's a million ways to make money in real estate, but I found out that I was good at talking to tired landlords. And now I have the opportunity when I meet them to either help them sell the property quickly via a mm -hmm. wholesale deal, um, help them restabilize the property by bringing it into our property management company, hopefully placing better tenants or increasing the rents and, but effectively paying for ourselves and taking care of the owner's headaches. Right. Or because we have to be a licensed realtor to be a property manager in our area, um, we can help them list the property. So sure. if they want more money, it's not really a wholesale deal. So that provides three different avenues for us to, to help that owner. Sure. Well, uh, talk a little bit about that pivot then. Was, was property management something that you, was always on your radar or, or did you, it just kind of, you work towards it? That's, like, a, that's a great question. So I bought my first four family. I'm like, all right, what do I do next? Because I, did, I wasn't thinking of, you know, can I refi my first house hack into some type of um, non-owner occupied mortgage and buy another one, which I eventually did. But at that point, I didn't have that idea. I said, well, what's next? So wholesaling is always like the hottest topic for people to get started. Always. I legitimately started writing 20 handwritten yellow letters a night. Mm -hmm. So I, I went online to ListSource and I felt like ListSource was, it was easier to access um, owner leads for less on list source at this time. Um, but I would handwrite 20 yellow letters a night. I started marketing to multifamily owners in Pawtucket, Rhode Island and Attleboro, Attleboro, Massachusetts. They're like right back to back for people who aren't familiar with the North Northeast. And um, I started getting a ton of phone calls and I had no idea how to <laughs> close a off market deal. Um, so that was an experience in itself. I know mm -hmm. on the podcast, most folks probably can't hear it, but I am definitely an introvert. And if you left me just plugging numbers in a spreadsheet all day, like I'd be content. Mm -hmm. um, talking to people is, I recognize it's part of my job, but uh, it's tiring for us introverts. So um, that was an incredible experience, learning how to talk to these tired landlords and helping them close deals. So um, three months into my marketing campaign, I was able to close my first wholesale deal. I was able to clear... Um, a gross profit of $15,000. My first wholesale deal was, was huge. It was super exciting. Um, and then I started marketing to other lists. So mm -hmm. I marketed to an inherited list and then I marketed to a, um, a high equity or a probate list in um, Cranston, Rhode Island. And these are mostly all single family deals. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the inherited list, I'd never gotten so many death threats in my life. I have a friend who still mails that list. Wow. But everyone's like, you need to take me off your list. Uh, I'm going to come find you. I'm like, all right, you just need to tell me the address. I'll pull it off. I'm not giving that to you. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're going to get another piece of mail. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I quickly found out like, hey, I'm mailing the list in Pawtucket and Attleboro. That's going really well. Mailing this inherited list in the probate list, which is similar. Probate's going to be similar to the inherited list. It wasn't going as well. Um, so that's when I got the idea of, hey, maybe if I'm good at talking to these tired landlords, could I launch a property management company so that that's kind of like the hub and then you know build other opportunities off of that? And that's been the strategy 
um, for a few years now. Sure. Well, I know you've had some success too, uh, being able to uh, get some of these properties with no money out of your pocket. Like, do you, yep. is that uh, something that you work out? Like, do carrybacks with the with some of these tired landlords, or how how does that process work? Yeah. So, it's all about building street cred, right? And mm-hmm. one of that is from from working on deals, but also going out and doing what you say you're going to do. Right. So, with that, we've been able to build really good. Um, private money and hard money relationships. So I don't know if you'll agree with this. I think it's like a 50-50 shot, but I think there's a difference between private money and hard money. Mm-hmm. Private money, there's some form of relationship and you're going to get reasonable interest rates. So like right. we have private money that we have access to at one point at closing and 9% interest, which mm-hmm. I feel is pretty reasonable for private money. Um, hard money we have access to is two points at closing and 12%. Um, but we've been able to build the street cred there where that hard money lender will fund a hundred percent of purchase and a hundred percent of rehab mm-hmm. because we've gone out and we've done those things. So that's, that's one way to do it. One example of a deal that we came across this year, it was uh, a three family that we bought for um, $140,000. So off the jump, we were going to purchase that property subject to existing financing. Mm-hmm. So it was a friend of my partner and they just had enough. And he said, hey, can you guys come in and help us out? We're a little bit behind on our mortgage. I'm like, okay, not a big deal. We'll buy it subject to your existing financing where we are now gonna pay your mortgage. So it's almost like an option price up front. So if they're a month or two behind and you, you pay to catch them up and then just pay the mortgage while we hold it. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna negotiate with them to set a purchase price for when you sell it on the backside to get them out of that. So they owed roughly 90,000 on their mortgage. We had that 140,000 purchase price and we were just going to take care of them, get them current and take care of their mortgage payments um, until we were able to sell it. So there's mm-hmm. a small rehab there is roughly a $5,000 rehab and we were able to sell it for 192,000 in the back end. So just to give people some perspective, mm-hmm. we went to, we have a vanilla attorney and then we have like a sexy exotic attorney. <laughs> we go to the vanilla attorney and this is our nine and one lender. And he said, why don't you guys just buy it in cash? I'm like, well, that's not the point of real estate. You got to buy it with leverage, right? So he said, well, I have money that I can lend to you guys. And we were like, okay, well, let's work through this. So he said, listen, I'll fund 100% of of the purchase price and then you guys figure out the rehab. So because we knew it was going to be roughly $5,000, not a huge deal. When he went out, he saw that the property didn't even sell for more than $90,000 at the height of the last um, mm-hmm. market cycle. And he goes, Hey guys, I'm going to throw another wrench in this process. So you're not going to buy subject to, I'm not going to fund you hundred percent. I'll give you 120,000. So now we've got to go back and be creative again. And we went back to the sellers and we said, Hey, listen, we, we've got funding at 120,000. We can't get to the 140,000 unless you hold a seller second. Mm-hmm. So the sellers actually lived in one of the units. They held a, a seller second mortgage for 20,000. Mm-hmm. And then as um, as interest on that twenty thousand, we gave them a fifty dollar per month reduction in the rent. So rather than paying eight fifty, they paid eight hundred a month while we held it until until the property was sold. Sure. So I think that that's a pretty broad away array of how we finance properties with no money down. Mm-hmm. But it shows how as an investor you're going to be really nimble too, right? So we think we're going to buy it subject to the investor offers us money. Sorry, our broker offers us money, and who's also our attorney. 
And then he says, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to give you the full purchase price. You got to go back to the seller and try and find 20,000. So I think that's really how you have success financing things with no money down is being creative. So if one strategy fails, like move to the next one, that one fails, move to the next one until you're able to accomplish it. No, and I think that's really one of those telling things of what makes uh, some people really successful at this is not only being nimble and creative, but being perseverant, you know, finding, finding a way instead of asking that question, how can this work? Yeah. And, uh, and, and getting it done and figuring it out because a lot of people would have stopped and just went, well, that one's not going to work out. Yes. And there's so much lost opportunity when in, in those scenarios. Yep. I'm with, I'm with you hundred percent. And I go back to the age old saying, I know a ton of investors have said it. You've probably said it a hundred times. If it is really a deal, you'll find the money. Someone will help you get into that. Right. Well, I, I know we're kind of at our time here today, but I, I wanted to make sure that we had a, enough time to ask. I always ask one question at the end. Is there it. one question that you wish we would have asked here today or uh, something that you would have liked covered? Yeah, so I'm a big book nerd. So I always give out book advice at the end of these. Um, sure. So uh, as I'm, I'm sitting here, I know that you guys record the video. So I have the pumpkin plan on my desk. Yeah, we had Mike on our show. That, so that's amazing. And I was a plug because I didn't know that Mike was on your show. But honestly, if you are a real estate investor, an entrepreneur, a lot of people have side hustles. Mm-hmm. The Pumpkin Plan is hands down one of the most amazing entrepreneurial books that I've ever read. And uh, if you're going to take one piece of action from this from the podcast today, pick yourself up a copy of The Pumpkin Plan. It'll be worth its weight in gold. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about Mike's books and uh, it's, it's a, it can be a game changer, especially if you take some action from those. Absolutely. So if people wanted to get a hold of you, follow you, where would they, where, how would they do that? Yep. So the best way is to give me a follow on Instagram. So a little bit of a selfless plug here, um, have a podcast as well. It's called the Cash Flow kinks, but we post a ton of daily content, a ton of information for investors at all different paths along the journey. Um, but frequently trading information in DMs and trying to help people out. Sure. Well, I'll make sure to include all of those links in the show notes, but I can't thank you enough. Really appreciate your time. Awesome. Thanks for having me. We've put a lot of effort into providing useful content, and if you found value in the show and have any interest in supporting us with a small donation, head over to patreon.com slash housedudes. And if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot us an email at info at housedudes.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at housedudes. And if you like what you're hearing, head over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It really helps other investors out there find the show. And remember, massive positive impact requires massive positive action. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by HouseDudes.com. Do you have time to actively manage flipping and rentals yourself? If so, go for it. If you live in a market that won't cash flow or don't have the time to do all the work, are you just out of luck? If there was a way to participate more passively, would that appeal to you? I'm sure you have questions about how the process works and what to do next. If that's the case, fill out the form on housedudes.com investors, and we'll reach out to see if you are a good fit for our business. This is first come, first serve, and we will have to stop taking applications when our goals are met. 
See you at housedudes.com slash investors. I don't like to tell a man what to do with his money, but if you ain't investing in property, then you're dumber than a dummy. I'm not dumb. I'm smart. Well, buy property. That's my advice.